Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. down everybody welcome back to another episode of commander ad populum commander for the people by the people for the people my name is ryan this is episode 19 and today we have some very special topics with a very special guest i'm going to get to that in just a quick second but first some quick business to get out of the way big thank you to the official sponsor of commander ad populum that is fusiongamingonline.com they are based out of winnipeg manitoba and you can find all of their online sponsored content at themanabase.com Videos, podcasts, written articles, multiple different formats, it's all there. So if you like Commander content, check them out. If you like Magic content in general, check them out, of course. And for all of your other Magic needs, all of your gaming needs in general, FusionGamingOnline.com. Secondly, huge shout out to new patron, Anthony Bockley. Bockley? Bockley? I'm not sure. Long O, short O. Anthony, you know who you are. Big thank you. You and all of the other patrons are making the show go round. If you're listening and aren't quite a patron, but you'd like to be, you can head over to patreon.com slash cadpopcast. You can check out all of my altered art content there. That is altered cards, altered art tutorials, and all of the benefits that both are pertinent to Commander Ad Populum, the podcast, but also all of the benefits that do get you discounted shipping rates on altars or discounts on custom commission work. And upcoming new benefit, having your commissioned altered art card featured as one of the altered art tutorial or video pieces. So that's a new thing I'm experimenting with. And if that's something that you're interested in, head over to Patreon, consider pledging. I'd very much appreciate it. As with every week, there is going to be a thread on the official Commander Ad Populum Twitter and Facebook pages. You can find either by searching CAD Popcast or at CAD Popcast on Twitter. There'll be a quick summary of the community section, the technical section, and of course the set retrospective. It is back and it is a special one this week. So head over to either platform and you can find everything there. If you'd like to send me anything longer form, you can shoot me an email, cadpopcast at gmail.com. That is C-A-D-P-O-P-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear your story, your magic community story, whether it's how you got into magic or how you're doing good in the magic community. Uh, Commander or EDH 
or otherwise. If you work with kids, if you donate cards, if you work at a hospital with like whatever you do, if magic has helped you or if, if you've used magic to help anybody in any meaningful way, I'd like to hear about it. I'd love to feature the story and spread the word, spread the goodwill as it were. Shoot me an email or get in touch, CAD Popcast on Twitter, or of course search Commander Ad Populum or CAD Popcast on Facebook. Now, without any other delays, we are going to get straight into the community section just after this. Okay, we are back and ready to dive right into our community section. I have my good friend, you might recognize him from Commander Social. His name is Ryan Green. Ryan, welcome. Oh, Ryan, thanks for having me. Uh, you know, this is the, the Ryan podcast now, so that's great. You kept that a lot cleaner than I was going to. Two Ryans, <laughs> one podcast. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. No, thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Go ahead and tell everybody where you're from. Oh, okay. Sure. So if you don't know, um, I have a podcast called Commander Social. Uh, we release weekly episodes and we really just kind of try to keep it family friendly and talk about uh commander and all things uh, to do with magic so yeah that that's basically it i mean if you know i guess i'm supposed to say like if you want to check out our patreon you can go to patreon.com slash commander social right i'm supposed to do that 100 percent um <laughs> but yeah uh that's that's pretty much oh and i i should say um i have wonderful help from my my co-host zach um and my silent partner mike Every episode, um, they're contributing, making the show as good as it is. So, um, got to show love to them. Very much so. And that is at Commander Social on Twitter and individually. You're, let's see if I can get this because I listen to your show frequently. At Green Geek on Twitter. That's right. Look at that. At Z4CK38 is Zach. Yeah, uh, sometimes, you know, he'll he'll leave off the 38, but yes. <laughs> totally different Zach. Uh, don't look that guy up. Z4CK38 <laughs> for this Zach, right? Mm-hmm. There's 37 other Zachs that you don't want to know. For sure. Perfect. Okay, so today we wanted to tackle a couple things. We're both MTG dads or or MTG families is maybe a better way to put it. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair, for sure. I definitely, on, on my show, I have a hashtag MTG dad moment where I talk about my kids, and that was actually kind of uh, the whole reason I started the podcast, oddly enough. I, I wanted to have this this forum to, like, make these uh, memories for my kids that they could kind of go back to later in life. Um, and almost so I that almost was like, like, a, cool like, a, like a time capsule. Yeah, absolutely. And, like, you know, they get to hear the stories, like, not as they've changed over the years, but, like, like you know, the day after it happened, you know? That's actually unreal. So give us a hashtag MTG dad moment. Give us one. I'm putting you on the spot right now. Oh, all right. Sure. Okay. So uh, this week's hashtag MTG dad moment happened today. Um, I was playing with my kids and um, I was I was solo. It was two on one. One parent, two kids, you know, always fun. Um, and we were just playing superheroes. And my daughter decided that she wanted to wear her Supergirl um, Halloween outfit. So we got that on. And she said, you can be Green Lantern, Daddy. And I went into the kitchen and I found like a little hairband and I put it on my finger. And then we ran around the house like chasing like fictitious bad guys and doing, you know, justice and hero stuff. And it was really good. And my son got into it too, Malcolm. You know, he's running around with us. And, you know, I was like, oh, he's like Batman. You know, it, I don't know. It's just, uh, you know, kids have wonderful imaginations. And it was a really good moment. 
That's very excellent. I thought that I thought that you were going to say like one held your arms behind your back and your green lantern. So she put on her like she put on her yellow shoe and kicked you right in the nuts. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> she doesn't know quite that much yet. I mean, we <laughs> watch we watch like <laughs> the DC. Um, uh, uh, it's called Super uh, Girls, and it's got like a Green Lantern and a Supergirl and a Wonder Woman and Batgirl um and uh bumblebee so yeah it's a you know we we're we are she's already super huge into the hero stuff and i, uh, I feel wonderful. you i feel you so so what you're saying and this is kind of what we, what i had you on to talk about is you're immersing your family in what's the most politically correct way to say it um nerd culture nerd cultural ge- 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 yep. culture that sounds right. I, yeah, I, for I'm, sure. I'm not a hundred percent sure the difference between nerd and geek. That's not what we're here to discuss. But um, whatever that those words mean to me, they mean the same thing. You're saying that you've got let's say three and a half, four year old daughter and a almost two year old son. Our sons are a month apart. You're introducing them to nerd culture very early on in their life because it's considered okay to to be in that culture now. Yeah, I think it is. I mean, I know that growing up for me, you know, it was definitely somewhat counterculture or at the very least not mainstream, right? Um, you know, I collected comic books, I played video games, but, you know, and I played Magic, obviously. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like, I have no qualms about introducing my kids to that. I mean, it was pretty much impossible to avoid, to be honest. Like, you know, I'm going to do stuff with, with these things we have superheroes on the on the walls on pictures and stuff so like they're gonna see it and I think it's totally okay I mean actually like I love the fact that my daughter she told me once that she wanted to be a superhero when she grows up and that's, I asked her which one and, and she said Batman <laughs> Batman that's actually well, that's probably one of the better ones because I mean a it's realistic because Batman doesn't actually have any superpowers right Yep. And I was uh, like, it just means bad things for me and my wife, you know? <laughs> well, maybe it means she's going to be a contributing member of society. You know what I mean? Maybe she'll be a, uh, a police officer or a real live, like, detective or chief of police somewhere. You know what I mean? Like, that's kind of, you and I were talking about this type of thing in uh, Magic Fest Vegas, where you actually told me that I previewed it on last week's Commander Ad Populum, where I said, like, us people that were shunned in the 80s, 70s, 80s, and 90s have now grown up to be contributing members of society. And who who knows, maybe, you know, your daughter says she wants to be a superhero now. Maybe in 20 years from now, that means she goes into med school. She becomes a surgeon or she becomes, you know, the next person to go to the moon. Like, I mean, it could be literally anything. It, it could yeah, literally sure. be anything. And I feel like 20 years ago, 30 years ago, that wasn't the case because when we talked about collecting comics or playing magic or Dungeons and Dragons, that wasn't okay, but it is now. Yeah, actually, I can share a story about that. So when I first started playing magic in 1994, I was, uh, I guess, like 14 or so. And my father actually learned how to play the game with us because he was worried about like, the Dungeons and Dragons panic thing. Like he wanted to make sure that it was like safe for the kids to oh, be into yeah, this game. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. I I told my origin story on the first episode of Commander Ad Populum. My dad actually learned how to play magic with me as well. That's actually funny that we both we both have podcasts. We both had a very similar experience and now we both have kids that are the same age. And we're both named Ryan. I mean, the oh, coincidences go on you, and on. You, you actually <laughs> just blew my mind. Yeah, we're... Uh, Less than six degrees of separation. We're like 0.5 degrees of separation here. (laughs) That's actually so awesome. 
Okay, 0.5 degrees of separation aside, you're MTG dad, I'm MTG dad, I say MTG parents on the cast frequently. Does your wife play? Yeah, actually she does, although it's it's been a while. So we have a, a league that's played Commander for, oh, six, seven years, something like that. And prior to kids, my wife played in the leagues all the time with us. But now that we have the kids, it's it's more difficult, right? Because we have to get somebody to, to sit for them while we're playing and... So it's it's a little more difficult, but I mean, like, for example, she watches the Game Nights videos with me every month when they come out, and she understands them, you know, she's like, we pause it, and she reads the cards, and, like, she's she knows about, like, the culture, and she knows about the game, but she's not, like, a hardcore. W- what about your wife? My wife doesn't play. I've a little bit, like, taught her the ins and outs. If I had a conversation and told her, you know, I got mana screwed or flooded or somebody was really targeting me or what have you. She knows kind of the language. And if I give my son a card and it's like the creature type is like hag, <laughs> I could say, hey, go show mom. <laughs> and you'll like run out. Mom, look, look, look. <laughs> it's, it's a joke for us, right? But he's got his own little collection and he loves tokens and um, he'll go and show her bears. And s- most people are still a man, but he knows ladies now. Man and lady is like soldier and angel. He knows zombie and goblin, and he'll show my wife all of these things, right? And she uh, she likes him. I just did, um, a couple weeks ago, I did the set retrospectives for like Mirage Block. And Mirage Block is uh, very visually beautiful, and there's a bunch of different kind of jungle animals, monkeys, tigers, snakes, right? And he loves everything for Mirage. Oh, yeah. My daughter's huge into animals, right? Like, and she loves unicorns too. So I, whenever I find like some common like white unicorn magic card, I like oh, to yeah. give it to her. And she has like a little deck box that she keeps them in. And uh, she'll take them out sometimes and like lay them out on the table. You know, she has a play mat that, that I got her. It's, Excellent. Uh, it's actually the uh, the original loading screen from Super Mario Brothers, like the original Nintendo Entertainment System game. Oh, yeah. yeah. And that... That was like her wall too, like in her bedroom. It's got like stickers on the wall that's Mario. Oh yeah, so, like like she was like a like a nerd like from before the day she was born. You know, we definitely decorated the rooms like for us, at hoping that she would like it. You know, I don't I don't know if you have anything similar to that. You know what we um our kid was very much unplanned, <laughs> and we had. The furniture in his room like matches the rest of our house. It's very dark stained wood or black or just off of black with teal accents. But in addition to that, I had bought like this giant silk. It's like 40 by 30 map of Middle Earth and it's made out of silk. And I Oh, nice. Yeah, I stretched it tight and framed it in a matching frame as a as a big print that my wife and I have in our bedroom so the frames even match. And because it's a map, my wife was like, hey, I wonder if we kind of just added a pseudo kind of nautical theme. So he's got like a clock in the shape of an anchor and like this giant shark head that's like exploding out of his wall with a bunch of sea or um, star horse, starfish. Is that starfish? He's starfish. Yeah, starfish and seahorses are both. <laughs> yeah, I, was, I was thinking star horse. That's not a thing. That sounds like a Chinese food restaurant by my old house. <laughs> So yeah, there's another, um, now we're only 0.25 degrees of separation. You've got Super <laughs> Mario on your wall and I got like Middle Earth on mine. <laughs> yeah, actually, I think Middle Earth is really cool. Uh, I mean, I've, I've read all those Tolkien books and they're great. I, yeah, I, one of the things I'm like really interested in, like just speaking of like introducing your kids to stuff is um, I really want to like read the Harry Potter books to my kids. 
But oh, I'm not sure when so. I should start that, right? Well, around the same time, you start to introduce magic, right? As soon as they can really comprehend beyond beyond the pictures. I don't know. What is that? Like when you learn to read when you're six, five, six? It's, it's got to be something like that. I, I know right now that if I tried to read the Harry Potter books to my, my daughter, she's three and a half, like she would not sit through that, you no. know, like half a page, she, right? She would, yeah, something like that. If there's no pictures, she's probably like, I'm out. You know but, they have illustrated um, copies of those books now. They do? They do. I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. Um, I've seen the first book at Costco, and we own it. And my wife bought it for me and my son specifically for that reason, so we could actually read it to him. And they have the – I think the first three are published with illustrations, and it's the whole book. Like it's it's like a big 10 by 12 book, and it's two inches thick because it's got pictures. You know how the first couple books were real thin? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I mean I definitely read them like in their original forms. Like I know these are for kids, but I love that kind of stuff. So – and, and, no, yeah, and we, you know, it did get are, you know, more adult as it goes. We are just big kids. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean – yeah, I definitely, I've heard of like Peter Pan syndrome and I wouldn't say that I have that so much as like, you know, I, I don't know. I feel like what's the point of, of living if, you know, it means like giving up all the stuff that you care about, you know, like growing up doesn't mean you have to, you know, throw away all of your toys, you know? Yeah. Growing up means that you need to, under normal circumstances, hold a job, pay your mortgage, make sure your kids don't starve to death. Those are the things that growing up really means. And then the rest of it is all eh, supplementary. Yeah, I, I think that's totally accurate. I, yeah. I mean, for me, the biggest thing we're working on with my kids right now is we're trying to uh, teach them to swim. Right. Oh, so yeah. we have weekly swim lessons on Saturdays. And uh, yeah, that, that's been a bit of a struggle. Are, are you doing that with your kids? We did it earlier than they said you're supposed to, but we kind of snuck in because my wife just changed his birthday. And because we did that, like the instructor actually said, hey, it's better to do it earlier than it is later because they can actually have some some swim or water fear digression and actually become scared of the water as they get older. So the younger, the better. So we did do it and it was it was actually great. So, I mean, if that if that same kind of mentality holds through, to reading or or language comprehension maybe maybe magic and harry potter when they're four or five is is better yeah i mean i i will say i definitely like gave all you know my kids like basic lands to just kind of like play with and and my barometer of like when she's ready to do stuff is like when she can hold a card without immediately crumpling it <laughs> right <laughs> This is real life, people. If you if you don't have kids and you've never seen them, it's literally pick a card up, crumple it in your hand like you're Thanos. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That's Thanos it. Thanos' gauntlet with like all the mana symbols on the back of it oh, instead yeah. of gemstones. That'd be yeah, sweet. 100%. Cosplayers, take note. So that's a lot about our kids. That's a lot about what you feel about teaching them in general, I guess, and, and nerd, geek culture, whatever you want to call it. What about if we actually talk about some magic cards? Usually we do a technical section. How about this? Quick technical section. If you're working with a brand new, brand new, never played magic before person, whether whether it's one of your kids or somebody at a school or something, where do you approach the game from? Okay, yeah, that's a great question. So I think the first thing I would do is I would make two monocolored decks, like maybe a green one and a red one, something like that. And it would be full of like creatures and sorceries, right? And 
maybe like an odd artifact or something just to kind of like introduce it. But the decks would be super bare bones. And, you know, I would just try to get the mechanics down of like the turn order is, you know, untap, upkeep, draw, main phase, combat, you know, discard, whatever. Yeah, you could even I, have a cheat sheet, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, actually, I'm sure they have them like like little like reference cards you can get, um, you know, with supplementary products. But yeah. I've taught a lot of people how to play magic over the years. I mean, a lot because I'm, I'm an ambassador for the game. Right. Obviously, like if you make a podcast. That's kind of where you end up. You're, uh, probably a, you're because a subject you're an matter ambassador. expert. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, you, you just get those two decks and, you know, you, you just kind of like go through it. And what, what you want to do is ask a lot of questions when you're teaching somebody. You know, give them the information once, but then ask a question that, to see if they grokked it. You know? Yeah. Like, okay, when can you attack? Or is this a good attack? Right? Like, or if you did attack here, how do you think I would block? You know, stuff like that. Right. Yeah. And for I, sure. I, I think that's harder for, you know, if it's like smaller kids, right. Most of my experience is teaching like grown adults to, to play, you know, my wife, for example, or, or other folks. So yeah, when you're, when you're teaching kids, I think maybe you even, I don't even know how you, I don't even know how you'd start. Like, have, have you tried or thought about this at all? I taught my brother, maybe, 14 years ago my brother's about 10 years younger than me and i what i did was build i think that they were three color decks they were two color decks or three color decks but there were two decks and they were 60 cards 100 percent exactly the same and it was just like deck for deck this is what i would do if i had that card or if i had the same card that he had i could demonstrate a good line of play with it whether that be like play the card and then attack and then post-combat do something to not tip my hand at whatever else I had to to give him any information, right? And that was after... Oh, yeah, that, I mean, that feels like a more ex- uh, more advanced topic, like the controlling the amount of information available, right? Like, that's definitely yeah. like a key magic concept, but I feel that's like what I would teach that to it, somebody right? at, at the start. Yeah, you know what I did for the first maybe... Mm eight or 10 games is it was like we had a telepathy in play where we just both played with our hands revealed and I showed him every move that I made so he would recognize moves that he could also make. Okay, yeah, I think uh, that makes sense. It's like you're you're turning your game of magic into a game of chess. Chess being a game of perfect information where you can see all of the potential moves on the board at any one point in the game. So that's kind of how I did it. Yeah, I feel like three color decks. There's such a chance for not getting the right color of mana that I would. Tr- I, I think that I would like try to remove that variable from the equation, right? Like I would do two monocolor decks just so it's like, it's are you land screwed or are you not, right? Not like oh I have all lands but they're the wrong colors, you know? Like I wouldn't want to introduce that till later. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, you're probably right. I don't remember if there are two or three. I think there there must have been two. I mean, I, I think know. you can graduate up to two colors pretty quickly, right? Like, after those first eight or ten games where you were playing telepathy style, I think after that you can, like, okay, this is a white-blue deck and this is a green-black deck, right? And then go from there and, like, try to add additional concepts like, here's what an enchantment does, right? And here's an instant. Oh, man, instance. Then you have to start oh. playing the stack. <laughs> Game oh, changer. Yeah, that, that, that's, when, that's when things get real because the stack is, is I mean, it's it makes sense if you think about it, but it's also really hard to wrap your brain around because not many games have that right yeah. like when you're playing hearthstone or you're playing pokemon or whatever there's not this concept of interaction in that fashion right yeah well, that's all good that's good advice i like all of that and listeners if anybody out there is 
teaching. I mean, I get, you know what? We're, we're talking about building decks to teach people. They have these, they're like starter decks or dual decks or planeswalker decks. These are all products right from Wizards of the Coast geared at introducing new players to the game. So I don't know, hit your local game store and just see what anybody working behind the counter that is familiar with the products recommends, right? Oh yeah, for sure. I know I've used the, uh, there was one, it was like, oh man, I'm not sure. It was like a mono white deck versus Kiora, I think was one of the dual decks. And I've used that to teach people before. And actually I still have them together somewhere. And that, that experience is pretty cool, right? They're just out of the box go. And I think they're 40 card decks, you know, they're pretty small. And you really control, like, there's two to three copies of most of the cards in there. So there's a lot of repetition. Because, I mean, a lot of that, a lot of the learning is seeing the same card over and over again and, like, getting, like, a, almost like a muscle memory um, version of it in your brain, right? Yeah, very much so. Yeah, I think for me, like, teaching the kids starts differently. I think it starts with, here's how you tap a card, right? And I'll tell you, <laughs> yeah, that's I, have a good, I have a good story about this. So, you know, I, I, I've been trying to teach my daughter how to tap a card, and she, like, takes her finger and, like, taps on it, you know? like Taps on <laughs> the card. Because Love she it. knows that's what a tap is. She doesn't understand the magical term of, like, turn sideways. So it's like, I, I'm going to have to, like... Okay, so you have to turn that card sideways. I'm gonna have to say that instead of tap. I'm, I'm like, I'm gonna have to learn a new language to teach her, right? Yeah, yeah. You and I mean that's why that's why teaching and that's why kids have so much to teach us because we can kind of warp how we think about things, right? Like when you said tap on the card, I thought in all of the taps in my house, they are the kinds that actually have the handles that you turn, and when it's off, okay. it's in one orientation. When it's on, it's in a different orientation. And my son, even being not even two yet, knows that those are the taps. Those aren't the faucets. That's what we would maybe call them. He knows that they're the taps. So if he if they're one way, they're off. If they're the other way, they're on. And that's how I would maybe suggest to him in, in our own way of communicating that he remembers that this means it's it's used or on. This is when it's off and it's usable and you can you can do something with it, right? Something like that, just to make him, you compare it to something that he already knows and it expands both the knowledge of um, what the word tap means, but also what that thing does or how to describe things, right? Oh, that's super clever. Like that's totally going to work. I can tell you right now, I think that's going to work. That's awesome. You just relate it to something that they already know. Yeah, absolutely. So I don't know. And I, I like, So I started like teaching my daughter like, how to roll a, a, a die, right? And like how to count the pips on it. And, you know, we have like little glass beads that we use for counters. And I, I'm trying to teach her math in like this fun way. So like when she says like, hey, I want to go play magic, really like sneakily enough, I'm like being this good parent where I'm like, okay, let's roll out your play mat. You know, this is yours. And she feels ownership over the play mat, right? And it's like, okay, let's take these beads out and put them down here and we'll, we'll put them in a straight line and we'll count them, you know? And so she's like kind of learning math and counting and that's been going on for a year plus. She says like, hey, I want to go play magic. And that doesn't mean we're going to go play magic, but it means we're going to go learn. You, you, don't, you don't roll up to like your, your, your games table and just like school her like she's some noob. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be the day though. That'll be the day where she is better at it than you and she schools you and you're the noob. Oh man, I cannot wait for that day. I'm telling you what. I seriously, that would be so awesome. That's it. But but I think the other thing that, that's important, and I've I've seen this from other folks that I've talked to about teaching their kids how to play magic, is that like 
I don't think you should force it. I want it to be her idea or, you know, my son's idea when he gets a little bit older, right? I want it to be them wanting to learn. I don't want to, like, force it on them. And then yeah, that's they, they the just, thing like, reject with, it out of hand. That's the thing with everything, right? It's like, why are, and I don't know, this is kind of the same thing, but professional athletes usually have kids that are also very good at the sport because they're immersed in it enough that they take an interest into it. They're raised in it. Right? Like yeah, Bane, that makes sense. Bane yeah. is raised in the darkness. Why is he a dark guy? Right? Why is he a bad guy? Right? Why is, you know, my neighbor at the lake, his son just signed like a $8 million deal with the Ducks because, while well, his dad was in the NHL for like 20 years. Yeah. I mean, it makes total sense, right? Like you're just around it. You, you know, the language from day one, essentially, right? Cause like you're learning your normal, like, you know, English or, or any other language, really vocabulary, but you're getting this like sports or you know, geek culture or gaming culture vocabulary that's like interspersed, right? Like, like I can tell you right now, my daughter has corrected somebody because they said, oh, do you want to roll a dice? And she's like, no, it's a die. Oh, right? a single, yeah. A single one is a die. She knows that. Like, yeah. from day one. Your daughter knows the metagame already. Yeah, for sure. So, I, yeah, I don't know. I think it's... um. It's just really fun. Uh, the games that we've tried to play, like if you're, you know, if you want to introduce your kids to games like a little bit sooner, because obviously magic is super complex. But, you know, we have we have Feed the Kitty, which is like a, a die rolling game. Right. And we have Candyland. And I can tell you that even still, like the concept of like each player taking a turn is not something that my daughter gets just yet. Right. When we play Candyland, she flips up the card and she's like, OK, so now I put the red character on that red card. And so the cards are interacting with the characters. It's, you know, it's, it's like a puzzle. It's not, it's not a game yet. Right. And we have shoots and ladders. So, you know, she's, she learns all these things, but it's definitely, it's definitely a slow process, right? Like it's, it doesn't just happen one day or even after like a month of, of trying. It's just, it's this continual thing where, and, and by the way, part of the reason I want to introduce my children to games is that I think it will make them more analytical. It'll make them better problem solvers. It'll make them better, you know, social. Oh, 100%. We've talked about that on Commander Ad Populum in the past where we apply either some process-oriented thinking or some way of thinking about a problem to how we approach magic or some kind of problem-solving method that we've learned in magic and applied it to real life. So yeah, Absolutely. 100%, 100%. And that's why they say for sports, they build character because you're being tested both physically, mentally, emotionally. Most games are the same. It's the level of physicality that changes. And it's it's only good to be, to to expand vocabulary, abilities, physicality, all of those things for kids when they can expand that. It's It's usually only good. Yeah, I think so. Well, I mean, as long as you're doing it, uh, you know, like you're not going to be like a like a pageant parent where you're trying oh, to force. Oh, yeah, no, hundred hundred percent, hundred percent. No pageant parents. This is uh, that's not what I meant there. You <laughs> you hit the you hit the nail on the head. So that's all great. I want to keep us moving along so we don't have a seventeen hour podcast because, of course, we could talk about our kids and I could talk about coaching and and childhood learning uh, until I'm blue in the face all night. But we have a set retrospective to get through. Today, we are going to do Stronghold. We'll see everybody in a quick sec. Okay, welcome back. 
stronghold. As we move through all of Magic's history, we are going to take a few minutes and we are going to learn about what is the 13th expansion in Magic's history. This is all the way up to March of 1998, the year before my brother was even born. Oh man, yeah. I feel old now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you feel old. That guy is like bigger than me now. <laughs> so Stronghold had 143 cards. This was the first small set in the Tempest block. And if you remember from two weeks ago, Tempest introduced in white, blue, and black an ability called Shadow. And Shadow can only be blocked by Shadow and non-Shadow can only block non-shadow so if you have shadow on shadow it's uh just like non-shadow on shadow or non-shadow on non-shadow so it was uh it was a little bit of a weird ability that forced people into playing those three colors and then if you were in red i don't know ryan if you remember playing if you played any limited or constructed when tempest was a thing you could uh, you could actually play the red mechanic of flowstone and really beef up your flowstone creatures by giving them like plus x minus x and not have to worry about shadow guys with one power blocking your one toughness flowstone guy. Do you remember that? Yeah, I mean, I I think when I played limited back then, I almost always drafted like white black and just went like full on shadow, and it, it worked very well for me. <laughs> that that's the way I remember it. Yeah, very much so. So storyline-wise, Gerard and the Weatherlight, they go through, like, they get into Wrath, and they're trying to find members of their crew in Valrath's stronghold, and he's, like, tricking them and shape-shifting and infiltrating their minds and stuff as they're trying to get... I think they're trying to, like, get Karn because he was, like, lost or kidnapped or something. I'm that not That sounds a, right. Yeah, that I'm, sounds right. I, I know that Volrath's stronghold is actually a card in the set that we're going to get to later. I know that for sure because that's a good one. Yeah, it's like the namesake. Like when they put the uh, when they put the actual card name in the in the set that it's in. I always like when they do that. It's like that is the moment. You know what I mean? Yeah, or like the Immortal Sun from uh, Ixalan Block, right? Like they they didn't have a set with that name, but it was like the iconic piece of uh, the Vorso, Vorthos lore there. Very much. So. I'm thinking of like Hour of Devastation in Hour of Devastation. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, very much. So now notable things with Stronghold. It was the last set to include multicolored cards all the way until Invasion Block in 2000. So there was like two good years with no multicolored cards. That is crazy. Yeah, I remember there being a bunch of slivers. So there was a lot of multicolored stuff in Stronghold. Oh yeah, we'll be talking about a couple slivers when we hit some of the uh, the iconic for EDH cards, but I want to just touch real quick on what we always touch on because Wizards is such a big fan of doing cycles of cards before we talk about the legendaries. There was a cycle of walls, there was five of them that I've seen, I think all of them except one in Commander. There's Wall of Essence, for each one combat damage dealt to it, you gain a life and it's a 0-4 for two. There's Wall of tears whenever it blocks any creatures you bounce those creatures at end of combat wall of souls whenever it's dealt combat damage it deals an equal amount of damage to target opponent so that one blocks all day wall of razors is the red one it's a 4-1 first strike it's terrible yeah non, non-typical wall stats there yep <laughs> yeah very much so. and then the big one here wall of blossoms two drop zero four enters the battlefield draw a card this was like the two drop creature that draws you a card all the way until elvish visionary in shards block is that when elvish visionary was printed 
Oh, mm, I'm not sure. I, I like 2009 or something. I will tell you that I have very fond memories of Wall of Blossoms, and I still put it in Commander decks to this day. I think it's a great card. It stops early aggression. It's kind of the the green propaganda, right? I mean, and yeah. it replaces itself. I don't know. I love this card. Yeah, very much. I play it in um, I play it in my Animar deck, where you can just bounce it a bunch of times and just rip through your deck. Oh, yeah. And then uh, I think later on there was like Wall of Omens, I think, is the white color-shifted version of Wall of Blossoms. Yep, for sure. That was a good one, too. And uh, finally, I wanted to touch real quick on the last returning mechanic of this set is buyback. And I'm sure we're going to see some buyback cards. They, uh, buyback was an additional cost. If you remember from the Tempest set retro, buyback was an additional cost as you cast the spell. And instead of putting it into your graveyard, you put it into your hand. So we're going to highlight one of those that we think is relevant to the commander format. But before we do, legendary creatures we have exactly two in this set remember when we only got two legendary creatures in either set oh man yeah like autumn willow from homelands <laughs> there was actually more legendary creatures in homelands than there is in stronghold let's give them a read here Crovax the cursed a zero zero for black black two he's been errated to a vampire i believe he enters the battlefield with four plus one plus one counters on him during your upkeep, sacrifice a creature and put a plus one, plus one counter on Krovax. That's like the functional equivalent of like him eating them or sucking their blood. Or you remove a plus one, plus one counter from him. So if he's your only guy left, he gets weaker and weaker. Then you can spend yeah, black. Yeah, he gets the vampire hungers. Yeah, that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he gets weak or whatever, right? You can, his final ability, you can spend a black to give him flying. So essentially he's a 4-4 four, four flying vampire sorry, a 4-4 vampire that you can give flying or you can sacrifice a creature to make them bigger, but only once every upkeep. Is anybody building this? I think that nobody builds this unless they want to make like a Crovax theme deck. Am I right? Yeah, I mean, I think flavor is about the only reason you'd play this card. You know, the stats just... Creatures got better as time went on, right? In the beginning of Magic, like spells were way better than creatures, right? But nowadays, I think the, the pendulum has swung the other way and creatures are way better than spells for the most part because creatures have like comes into play abilities that mimic spells and leave behind a body like Eternal Witness or Snapcaster Mage. So, yeah, I, I think, you know, maybe Krovax the Cursed is probably in the 99 if you're doing like a Weatherlight theme deck, maybe. Or maybe if you want to do like the bad guy theme deck. Oh, yeah. Super villain theme deck. I like that. That's some that's some Commander Cookout kind of deck building right there. Oh, yeah. All right. Now we're down to 0.2% of separation. <laughs> 100%. Okay. Now, speaking of Commander Cookout, we've got my co-host on CCO's favorite card on the entire planet, Sliver Queen. That's the other legendary creature in Stronghold. Do me the honor, Ryan. Give it a read. All right. She's my Sliver Queen. Uh, is white, blue, black, red, green for a 7-7 legend Probably Sliver now. I, I imagine they, she has a creature type. Well, okay. It says in her text box, Sliver Queen counts as a Sliver. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> and two mana colon, put a Sliver token into play. Treat this token as a 1-1 colorless creature. So yeah, this card is bonkers. It's a great commander to um, helm a Sliver deck. It's on the reserve list. So I believe it's pretty pricey these days. I myself don't own one. And I think they're like 200 plus. So unlikely I'm picking up one anytime soon. Yeah, this okay, card... I, I see it at 130 Yeah, this card is super expensive. It is a reserve list card. I, I try not to focus on that too much in the set retros because the reserve list and the price of cards 
do sometimes carry a very negative connotation. I like to focus on the the card. Would we play it? Was it good? Do you remember when for any of the more experienced players? First of all, Sliver Queen, 7-7 seven, seven for 5. Nothing to trifle at because she is going to 3-pump chump you, right? Like 3 hits, you're dead from commander damage. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I mean, that was unheard of too, by the way. Like, if you go back to Legends and you look at, like, what a 5-mana multicolored spell is going to buy you, it's not anywhere near this efficient. Oh, yeah. Terrible. Now, and we did. We did see some of those Legends creatures in the, uh, like the Legends set retro. or whatever, yeah. Yeah, 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 that's it. So 7-7 seven, seven for 5, that's great. 2 mana, make a sliver. Excellent when you can combo with slivers that give you mana or anything that untaps all of your creatures when they come into play or anything that's going to reduce that, that 2 to either 1 or to 0 mana. And, and I, I think we're going to see one of those in the set when we talk about it, right? I think that's in the set. Heartstone? I think that Heartstone is in this set. Yeah, we're going to talk about that. And that is a real life thing to this day. Sliver Queen Heartstone, Sliver Queen Intruder Alarm, Sliver Queen, like Gemhide Sliver is the sliver from time or uh, yeah, time spiral that gives you a mana. So yeah, Sliver Queen, super awesome. If you've got one, that's great. I'm happy for you. If you still have the original Sliver Queen that you pulled from a booster pack in 98, I'm happy for you, Brando. <laughs> Very excellent. I mean, I will say this, like, because you're going to have a five-color Sliver at the helm of a Sliver deck, right, in Commander. And I think Sliver Queen is probably one of the most fair ones, right? I see a lot of Sliver Overlord, right, which is the one that's like three mana, go tutor your library for a Sliver. And I think Sliver Queen is, it's more fun, right? I think I... I'd rather play against Sliver Queen than Sliver Overlord. What What do you think about no that? No way. I think that Sliver Overlord is the fair one because, yeah, you can get a Sliver every turn or two Slivers every turn if, if you've got the mana, but you have to cast them. If you can just pack your commander deck full of um, the tutors that you need to find the, the cards that combo with Sliver Queen, she's like fringe competitive because she lets you run five color a ton of tutors and a ton of combo potentials with the piece of your combo that exists in your command zone so you have access to her whenever you need to like go off um, that, that's a fair point okay i i can see that yeah like mana echoes or something like that oh yeah that's another one i didn't even think of that's another one to go along with your intruder alarm and your gem hide and your comes into play deals a damage sliver right like there's so many of them yeah i, I think i i don't know i i really like Sl- sliver queen I think I tend to not put a lot of tutors in my decks, and so that's why I think, oh, she's more fair. But yeah, if if you're if you're like, uh, run, you know, running a ton of tutors, she she could go busted for sure. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, yeah. The 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 ten, uh, the kind of people who don't run a ton of tutors in their deck are the kind of people who don't play Sliver Queen. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> <laughs> that's a real thing. But uh, we've got. 141 other cards to run through here and a bunch of them are not very good but i wanted to just have you scroll through and as a like what a 25 26 year magic magic veteran i wanted you to just lead me through which cards you know see play in commander or which cards you think are maybe hidden gems and okay, I'll give sure. you an, I'll give you an example. My first hidden gem is called Bandage. It's a instant, a white instant. It just costs white. That's it. Prevent one damage to any creature or player. Draw a card. 
I know for sure of two decks that I've seen play this card. Feather decks, where you can target one of your creatures, and then you get it back at the end of turn, because Feather brings it back from exile or whatever to your hand, and you just draw a card every turn for white. Draw a card, draw a card, draw a card, while you're preventing damage to your creatures. The other deck I've seen this in is my friend Lenny's five-color Zada deck, where he targets Zada with Bandage, and it radiates onto all your creatures, and you just draw you know, 20 cards. So yeah, hidden one mana gem for 20 cards is pretty good, yeah. Yeah, yeah, eat your heart out, Blue. What uh, what cards do you like? Okay, so the first one that pops to mind here is Awakening. I'm just kind of going in alphabetical here. I run this card in a Rush Me Eternity Crafters deck, and it's two green green for an enchantment. At the beginning of each player's upkeep, untap all creatures and lands. So this is kind of like seedborn muse but it actually affects the whole table so it's a bit of everybody yeah yeah it's a bit of playing with fire right you're going to give your opponent's ability but if you've built your deck or especially if your commander can take advantage of having that man on everybody's turn you know awakening is a lot harder to kill than seedborn muse so i I don't know i think it's a really good card yeah it's like uh it's like a political seedborn you're you're reminding everybody that you're doing them a favor and then you use it to backstab them I like it. Okay, so yeah, I don't, I don't know about Hidden Gems, but Burgeoning is a, a card that's been reprinted a bunch. It's a single green mana for yep. an enchantment. It says whenever any opponent plays a land, you may choose a land card from your hand and put it into play. And I often find myself putting this in commander decks. I really like the ability to, you know, when you ramp, I ramp, right? Or just on your turn, you play land. You know, if, if I've got a deck that draws a ton of cards, I, I like to have a Burgeoning in play. Yep, for sure. Hey, I've got our first buyback card, and I believe that... In Stronghold, they gave they gave buyback the ability that, or sorry, they gave um, buyback the option to not just cost mana. So I'm looking at con- Constant Mists. It's an instant for green one with buyback of sacrifice a land, and it fogs. It just says creatures deal no combat damage this turn. So essentially, you can sack a land and pay two every turn just to shut off combat phases. And I play this in my 63 land deck it plays a lot like the legacy lands deck and constant mists is like a powerhouse in that deck actually i think constant mist is a powerhouse in any deck i mean i really like having ways to win that are outside of combat and i think if your deck can like constantly <laughs> constantly cast constant mists that's a pretty good way to do it and i can tell you sitting across from constant mist is kind of miserable it feels really bad and so that's how you know it's a good card <laughs> Yeah, very much so. And you know what I just thought of too? There was a cycle of two mana slivers, very iconic slivers in Stronghold that existed and described a color pair prior to 2006 or 7 or whenever Ravnica came in and like gave the guild pairs a name. And I'm looking at Crystalline Sliver was one of them. You could say Crystalline was the I've heard people say crystalline was the color combination of their deck that is white blue it's white mm-hmm. blue for a sliver that like a tutu sliver that says all other slivers have shroud yeah this card is was a big player in standard at the time too yeah because that was the sliver that you get like crystalline sliver muscle sliver that was the sliver that gave plus one plus one to all other slivers and you just beat face in right oh yeah and then give your slivers flying and then yeah, I mean, it, that that deck was pretty good. And I think if you are playing a Sliver deck in Commander, Crystalline Sliver is number one include, right? I, I feel like you definitely play that card always. Yeah, because you're never targeting your own Slivers, but everybody else would want to to kill them. So Crystalline Sliver makes it so that your opponent needs a, a sweeper or a mass bounce spell or something to, to dispatch your board. 
Yeah, and it's going to give your commander shroud too, which is great. Yeah. So here's here's another one to talk about. This card is called Dream Halls. I don't see this played very often, and I think maybe this might be a hidden gem. Uh, so it's three blue blue for an enchantment, and it says, instead of paying the casting cost for a spell of any color, the caster may choose and discard a card that shares at least one color with that spell. If the spell has X in its casting cost, X is zero. So again, I think maybe the reason this doesn't see a lot of play is it gives it to everybody. Yeah, I but think... But again, if your deck is set up to use this, could be really good. I think that people are terrified of this card. They associate this card with giving their opponents free spells, kind of like Aluren does, and they're scared of it, when in actuality, Dream Halls functions very much like Omniscience. Just like... Yep. D- discard your discard your winged sliver or your brainstorm or your whatever to cast your time stretch you're familiar with time stretch i know you are (laughs) yeah i am (laughs) yeah no for sure like the mana advantage here is huge like anytime you can cheat on mana cost it's a big deal right and like i said if your deck is set up take advantage of it i don't know i think it's i think it could be really good now i'm kind of thinking i might want to put this in a deck or two yep i like that And i definitely have some because i drafted a bunch of this set yeah, very much so. I want to hit up a couple of real quick ones um, that have been popular in the past or popular in other formats. I'm looking at Ensnaring Bridge, three drop. Each creature with power greater than the number of cards in your hand can't attack. That's a great one. That one is in modern because it was reprinted in ninth edition. And that's a quite a pricey card. I think it was in Masters 25 as well. And the kind of Tarmogoyf affected. If you wanted to play two or three in a sideboard and you had one or you had none, you got your first one in Masters 25, but then you needed another one or two more. So you went out and bought two more and it just made the price go up, even though that there was more of them in circulation. That was a thing for a while. There's Oh yeah, like basically the, the printing of it just increased demand past the supply. That makes sense. Yeah, that's called the Tarmogoyf effect because exactly that happened with Tarmogoyf in Modern Masters 1 where Tarmogoyf was like $150 and then people opened up one and wanted to play Jund in Modern or whatever. So they went out and bought three more and the price went up to $200. So what do you think about Ensnaring Bridge and Commander? I think it's fine in like a control deck, but at the same time, usually control decks win games by having lots of cards because we have access to jank like reliquary tower where we can just keep lots of cards in our hand yeah so i don't know yeah, I, I i'm not sure that i would ever play this i don't, maybe in some sort of like weird rakdos control deck or something well yeah but that's a then, thing but but then it's like you can't attack either maybe you play it yeah, like in exactly. a maybe you play it in i don't know i don't know maybe you play it in like shadowborn apostles or persistent petitioners or something where you where you want lots of the same thing just to dump them all out and then not attack yeah okay you know what it could be good in there yeah sure that could be a thing what, okay, what so- about the next one evacuation as a budget option to 30 dollars cyclonic rift oh okay so i've been running evacuation in 60 card decks since before commander was a format oh yeah i love since, this card. since march of 1998 when this set was printed yeah it, it's basically like the og blue wrath of god right and like oftentimes you know since it's instant you can really like basically reset from it first right you cast it on the player to your rights turn and then you get to start your your board development again i think the card's great i think that uh i mean i still have decks that run it to this day i have a kest dissident mage deck that has it in there yeah i i think it's great i think i have one deck that has it as well my erixmathies deck and just for anybody who isn't familiar it's blue blue three for an instant, return all creatures to owner's hands. And the reason I played in Eryxmathes is when he still has a slumber counter on it, he's a land. 
So I could use, for example, I could have maybe two counters on Eryxmethes, cast Evacuation, bounce everything except Eryxmethes, and then recast a creature, removing the last counter from him. And then he's a 12-12 that I can attack with, and my opponent has zero blockers. Oh, that's savage. I love that. Yeah. Savage. I love uh, I love a good fling. Sack a creature to deal damage to target creature or player equal to that creature's power. I love Grave Pact was originally in Stronghold. Mm-hmm. Oh, Grave Pact is, that's a black staple for sure. Yeah. Yeah. One black, black, black enchantment whenever any creature you control is put into the graveyard, each other player sacrifices a creature. Yeah, so good. And you mentioned it earlier, Heartstone right here. Three mana artifact. It reduces the activation costs of creatures you have by one generic mana. So your Sliver Queen activation, instead of costing two to get you a Sliver, costs you one to get you a Sliver. And there was cards that... I I know now there's a card called um, Basil Sliver or Basal Sliver that you can sacrifice it to get black, black. So Sliver Queen, Heartstone, and Basal Sliver just give you infinite Slivers and infinite mana. Oh, yeah, that's right. Okay, there you go. Yeah, that's totally true. I, I actually run Hearthstone in a Thrasios Vile Smasher deck because I really like activating Thrasios a bunch of times, and it costs four to start with. And if you can get that down to one, oh, you get into Turbo Town there, like burning through your deck. Yep, 100%. Talking about burning through your deck, my boy, Hermy D, Hermit Druid, is a 1-1 for green one. You pay green and tap them. Reveal cards from the top of your library until you reveal a basic land. Put all the cards revealed into your graveyard. Put the basic land into your hand. So you might think, well, why is that good? We play lots of basic lands. I ask you this. What if you don't play lots of basics? What if you play like one or two and you just get to yard like 60 cards out of your library into your graveyard? And then you cast like a mass reanimate spell or you have a creature that gets plus one, plus one for each card in your graveyard and you got like a 60-60. That's what Hermit Druid lets you do in EDH. Or if you, you want to get that Mortal Kombat alternate win condition by having 20 creatures in your graveyard. Oh, you, you just slayed me. That's excellent. <laughs> That's excellent. I think the next one to talk about is Horn of Greed. It's a three mana artifact that says whenever any player plays a land, that player draws a card. I think this sees play in a lot of decks. I think it's in my Titania Priestess of Argoth deck. Yeah, I play it in my 63 land deck as well. And I guise it under the uh, under the hood of it's a group hug card when really I'm dropping four land a turn. <laughs> oh yeah, no, this is totally group hug. Don't worry about it. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. <laughs> I like next one, Intruder Alarm. This is this is a very much a staple in Sliver Queen decks because you can pair it with any sliver that taps for mana or something earlier in Magic's history like Birds of Paradise or whatever where you just like tap your Birds of Paradise and your Llanowar Elf to get a sliver. Intruder Alarm says, whenever a creature enters the battlefield, untap all other creatures. Yeah, this card kind of reminds me of a recently banned Paradox Engine. Okay, moving on. There's a bunch of fringe playable stuff that I would love that, of course, has very all-over-the-map art direction like these old sets have. I know that's been a reoccurring theme, I guess, since Mirage and 5th Edition when they flipped over their their artists from in-house to contract. You can listen to that a few weeks ago. But there's a bunch of fringe playable stuff. I highly encourage everybody to look up all of the Stronghold set because it's awesome. But I want to move all the way down to Mox Diamond. So tell me about this one. You maybe played with this one back in Standard when it wasn't $280. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Mox Diamond is a zero-mana artifact, and when it comes into play, choose and discard a land card or sacrifice Mox Diamond, and it taps to add one mana of any color to your mana pool. Uh, yeah, I played with this in a recurring Nightmare Survival of the Fittest deck back in Standard. I, I ran four of them, and the deck was great, and it also used Hermit Druid. Yeah, Stronghold had a big impact on that deck. Yeah, this card is great. I don't currently have it in any of my commander decks just for the simple fact that it is like card disadvantage like discarding that land and then somebody vandal blast and you just feel really bad like i don't i don't know is it good in commander and i I should be running it um well you hit on two things that i want to touch on real quick the first of which is you said survival of the fittest reoccurring nightmare hermit druid mox diamond standard deck yep holy crap half of those cards are banned in legacy and half of those cards are banned in commander and that was standard can you can you less experienced younger players can you guys imagine <laughs> yeah and we're gonna we're gonna talk about some of those cards in the future when we hit those maybe this set or maybe we talked about them whatever it was wow card disadvantage yes it is that when you're talking, when you're weighing h- how strong in commander is card advantage versus tempo advantage, this sounds like a future technical section to me for commander ad populum. In metas where you want tempo advantage more than anything else, this card is the bomb. It's the gold standard because you'll throw away a land card to get a second land card in Mox Diamond on turn one. And that that meta usually is known as CEDH where you could go land, mana crypt, mox diamond, cast my four drop commander turn one, lock you out of the game. Like if you're playing Grand Arbiter or something. Okay, I could totally it see lets, that. It, it lets the stacks deck get online before the control deck can set up a like a combo or an engine. And I'm not a huge CEDH player, but I know some of how this works because I'm on the opposite end of that in CEDH with Animar where Mox Diamond can enable a turn one or two Animar for a turn two or three combo win provided the other person doesn't have any stacks or interaction, which is rare, I admit, but the tempo that Mox Diamond gives you can just blow games out of the water before they even start. Yeah, I think I just added myself as like a really casual player. I think that just happened. Uh, but you that's know what? okay. It's totally fine. It's totally fine because all walks of Commander Life are welcome. And you know what? Mox Diamond is 280 bucks. If you're a Magic player of old and you have one and you didn't know it's worth that much, I mean, go and turn it into two Commander decks or three, four Commander Precons, right? Like that's probably worth more for your time than a Mox Diamond is. Yeah, I, I mean, I think maybe if you were going to do some sort of storm deck, it would be re- like, again, that's a situation where the tempo advantage and getting to cast that spell and get the storm count up might be good. So, yeah, I guess there are fringe playables for this card or I guess CEDH, but uh, yeah, not I, I have some and currently not in a deck. So can we talk about Portcullis next? Oh, 100%. Hey, a uh, little bit of trivia. The Portcullis is actually the center of the little doorway in the stronghold set symbol oh yeah just, look at that by the okay, by yeah, so port, give give it a read portcullis is a four mana artifact and says whenever any creature comes into play if there are two or more other creatures in play set that creature aside if portcullis leaves play put the creature into play under its owner's control so this is kind of like a like a lock piece you know there can only be two creatures in play and like when was the last time you sat down to a commander game and there wasn't two creatures on the board it was right after a wrath 
right? So I don't know. I, I think this card could be playable. I don't see it played very often. That card sounds miserable. And you just outed yourself as a casual player. Now you outed yourself as like a crazy casual stacks player. I love it. Oh, yeah. Casual stacks is, is totally a, a thing, right? It's an archetype, right? Oh, yeah. It's, what I, it's, it's, yeah, it's totally what I play at FNM like every week. Yeah, it's no problem. What about uh, what about Reigns of Power? This is like the red, or sorry, the blue insurrection. Blue, blue, two, instant. You and target opponent each untap and gain control of all creatures the other controls until end of turn, and they all gain haste. So you can untap everything that like somebody else controls and block whoever's attacking you and kill all of that opponent's creatures and blow everybody out. Or you could switch... You know, you have no creatures, they have 10 creatures, you switch and you just kill them. That's how Insurrection works. This is a cool card. Yeah, I like to pair this with Ashnod's Altar. <laughs> I really just like to borrow all your creatures and sack them. What about Ruination? Does that have a place in our casual Stronghold set review? Destroy all non-basic lands for four mana. Yeah, you know what? I've seen this card played. Um, I'm not huge into mass land destruction, but, you know, I I don't like to tell other people how they should play. And I I think it's fine. Um, I tend to play a lot of basics in my decks, and I also tend to play a lot of monocolor decks, so this doesn't affect me hugely. But I will say I, I wouldn't call it a casual card. I, I think that's fair. Yeah, for sure. You know what? If you are always getting bent over by the guy that plays Gaia's Cradle or all of the like the Ixalan Fliplands and stuff, and you don't have the budget to go that big, I mean, maybe Ruination is a, is a healthy include for your red or your Boros deck. But other than that, yeah, you might be right. I'm going down the list here. I see, again, I see things like Stronghold Assassin that taps to kill a creature. I see Tortured Existence. You can discard a creature to get a creature back. I see Namesake of the Set, Volrath's Stronghold. It's a legendary land. Give it a read. So Volrath's Stronghold is a legendary land that taps to add one colors mana to your mana pool. For one and a black, you can tap it and put target creature card from your graveyard on top of your library. So this card is fantastic. You can put it in any deck that's got access to black that plays a lot of creatures, and it's going to be very good. Um, there is a version of this land printed in a future set that only does zombies. I think it's called Unholy Grotto. That's correct. And so I, I definitely like to play both of these lands um, in, in many of my commander decks. But, yeah, the utility here is fantastic. It doesn't come into play tapped, and... I think if you don't own one and you really like to play a mono black deck, it's probably a good card to get. Very much so. And you know what? I always say at the start of these set retros that wizards and magic players in general love cycles of cards. And Volrath Stronghold was the first in the super cycle that we're still waiting for wizards to finish. 21 years later... We've gotten three of the five cards. We've got Volrath Stronghold in black. We've got Academy Ruins in blue. And now we've got Hall of Heliod's Generosity in white. That's correct. Is that right? Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we, we are waiting for the green one and the red one. So hopefully those will come out and we can set retro them in the future. Is there any other cards that you wanted to talk about in in stronghold what do you think set as a whole what do you think actually i really like this set um i think i'm probably partial to it because i was playing standard when it came out and i have really fun like nostalgia for all these cards but i think there's a lot here i mean especially you know you hit on constant mists uh, yeah i don't know i i think that uh 
I have I have a box of these and you know Shard Phoenix was huge back in the day. I used to play that all the time in my 60 card decks. There's all kinds of fun things you can do with like uh, Shaman Encore and redirecting damage. I mean this set was great. You know it wasn't maybe necessarily the best limited experience but I I liked it and I think there are some really good cards here that to this day still matter and it's really crazy to think about that right like this was made in 1998 you know we're 20 plus years later hearthstone is still relevant you know hermit druid was played in your rotisserie draft at at vegas right yeah gave me a turn three hogak yeah i just i think that it's so cool that these cards are still relevant and uh i don't know it just uh it, it, it makes it definitely is uh hitting that nostalgia trigger for me in a big way very much so. Well, you know what? Listeners out there in Commander Ad Populum land, if you have your own memories, stories, hidden gems from Stronghold, you can either head over to the Facebook page, find the episode 19 thread, and let me know there, or search up CAD Popcast on Twitter, comment on the episode 19 thread on Twitter, let me know your Stronghold stories. I love my alliteration. Ryan, thank you very much for being with us. We are so long on time. I have to cut you off, even though I could talk about old school magic as long as we could talk about our kids. Let everybody know one more time where they can find you. Again, thank you so much for having me. This was a blast. I, I, I'd come back again. This was great. I, this was fantastic. Thank you so much. I just want to, before I do that, uh, so it's Commander Social is the name of our podcast. It's weekly content. You can find us at commandersocial.com. Uh, on Twitter, we are at Commander Social. And again, I want to give a huge shout out to my co-host, Zach, and uh, my man behind the scenes, Mike. So uh, thank you so much. Very excellent. And before we go, I got to do a big thank you to all of the patrons, patreon.com slash cadpopcast. And of course, fusiongamingonline.com for all of your stronghold needs this week. And of course, all of Fusion's sponsored content on themanabase.com. I would very much appreciate if you went there and checked all that out because there is some excellent stuff there in addition to Commander Ad Populum, of course. Ryan, any last words? No, I'll just say, um, you know, thanks for making awesome content for this awesome community. Couldn't have said it better myself if I was on your show. Wink, wink. Yeah, that would be cool. Uh, we have not yet had a guest since we've moved to video, and we are still trying to figure that out. We actually had a, a team meeting about it on Thursday of last week, so... Definitely, that is something that we would be interested in. Well, I have no idea how any of that works, but when you figure it out, I'm game if you want. If you don't, I'm good too. I'm happy to have you on anytime you want to talk about your kids or talk about teaching your kids magic. Just let me know. We'll set something up. Yeah, man, for sure. And I just, I want to say again, I just think it's really awesome that you are making aware content like that is making, being made to help people. I don't know. It's very entertaining. So thank you so much for that. No problem. It's my pleasure. Everybody else, I'll see you next Wednesday. <laughs>